0: Glad you're able to join us today for the Agricultural Toolbox. This is Mike Heimer with the Montgomery County Extension Office, and again, uh, it, it's been a great week. Lots of things going on, and we're enjoying the weather. Uh, we are just, Dick and I were just talking about the fact there's a chance of rain tomorrow, and hopefully it'll it'll miss us and uh, go someplace else because we're just about to the point where. Got a crust on the ground out there where we can get around off the the roadways and if we need to get out there in the pasture even the lawns because a lot of the lawns were so boggy that uh, you just try to walk across that you sink real bad but i know everybody's tempted to uh, get busy and start doing things and uh, i thought we'd talk today uh, again more on plants uh, some of the stuff that's going on out there it's really we've got an, an excellent opportunity with the temperatures that are going on and the moisture that's out there uh, to take advantage of growing a lot of vegetation for our livestock and uh, even the wild animals, now, as far as deer and things like that, they're utilizing these same crops, and it's really, really critical to see what's going on. But, you know, we always talk about Bermuda grass, and, and that's obviously kind of the focus in a lot of Bahia grass, but warm-season warm perennial grasses, uh, you know, have all been introduced, and we've talked about those in the past. But the winter annuals that we've got going on right now, that we're seeing a lot of growth on, and particularly the clovers have really jumped up, and the legumes, I'll call them instead of clovers, because everybody sees those weeds up and down the bar ditches, but they're not there. We'll talk in a minute about the benefits of those guys, but you know, the warm temperatures, the long daytimes we're seeing now, extended day lengths, uh, a lot of those winter annuals are starting to go ahead and and, really show some growth. You know, as cold and as wet as we've been for the last really 45, 60 days, uh, they just really have not had an opportunity to shine and start to grow and provide the vegetation for our livestock that we expected. And so now it's the time for it to get going. And again, ryegrass is probably uh, the most common of the uh, winter annuals that we like to utilize. And, uh, you know, it's, again, as most people recognize, it's a high-yielding, nutritious forage. And, again, it complements those Bermuda grasses and rye grass and bahia grass that we talked about earlier. You know, those are warm-season grasses that will utilize uh, when the temperatures start, flow, you know, so soil temperatures and nighttime temperatures start to befl- fall below Sixty degrees, they really start to shut down, and that's where these other grasses, you know, the rye grass, and even we'll talk about the cereals, wheat and rye, and uh, oats, will take off and go from there. But uh, these are just another uh, nutrition source that we can utilize. And again, uh, a lot of people will buy a lot of hay, and that's a a, a way to manage your forage program. But again, uh, like you know, no one wants to get out there on a cold, wet, rainy day and haul hay. So if we've got a pasture out there with rye grass. That will extend our use of our hay. They can get a lot of nutrition from the pastures that we're providing. And again, it's a management tool that we need to look at. And the ryegrass, we've talked about it in the past. It's a very versatile grass. It's very adaptive to most all soils. It'll tolerate wet areas, p- poorly drying soils. That, uh, And again, particularly this year, just everything was poorly drained. We had so much moisture. Uh, evaporation conditions were not conducive to drying. So a lot of our ground just stayed really, really wet for a long period of time. So, again, uh, you just did something that's very adaptive, and it does respond very, very well to fertility. And I think that's where the uh, people, I get a lot of questions on that. They'll say, well, these, these winter annuals are high-maintenance types of plants. And as far as, yeah, you got to fertilize them, and you got to take care of them. But realizing uh, the nutritional benefits that you're going to get from these guys. And, you know, bur- your Bermuda grasses, you know, those are going to be, you know, 14 16% on fertilized grasses, if they've not been fertilized, they might be 10 to 12% crude protein. And uh, then you get to looking at ryegrass and these winter annuals, they can easily be uh, 18 to 22% crude protein. So yes, they are exceptionally nutritious. Well, we've got to provide some nutrients to make those building blocks because the nitrogen fertilizer is a component of protein. So again, we've got to go ahead and fertilize these guys. And you know they do respond very well to nitrogen fertilization. And again, as a result, they've got the high nutritional value we talked about. And that, you know, helps with animal performance. You know, and many times we've got a lot of cows that are just now calving, got babies on the ground. Mama's, the mama cow is trying to uh, recover from parturition. Uh, she's trying to produce milk. She's trying to rebreed. So there's a tremendous load on her body. Well, an excellent quality vegetation along with the uh, supplemental nutrition will help her recover and get on down the road and do the things that we expect her to. So again, watching very closely, but the ryegrass can be a very important part of a program, and it doesn't take a lot of acres of it either. We've talked about this in the past. You know, we can have uh, three or four cows per acre uh, on ryegrass, and uh, they don't have to be out there all the time. You know, if, if your schedule will allow it, you can turn these girls in into a, a ryegrass pasture for a couple hours. They'll come back out, close the gate. They've met their protein needs for the day. And that way they're not laying around in there packing ryegrass down by bedding down on it and wasting pasture space that uh, they can go someplace out on dry pasture that's dormant for the season and, uh, you know, not hurt that ryegrass. But it's an excellent tool. And just, you know, we've talked about this in the past, and that's why I want to stress the fact that you're going to see it coming on real fast right now. And I've had a lot of people that are calling and are trying to get their land ready to go on some different practices. And the question is, do I have my ryegrass ready to go? Or has it been fertilized? And if I'm needing the extra vegetation, you know, say it's not too late. Typically, you know, end of February, 1st of March would be a good time to fertilize these pastures. But it's been so wet, we didn't have that opportunity to get in there. So at this point in time, uh, would be, you know, we can get out there. If I need the extra vegetation, I've got the livestock pressure. I need the vegetation. Maybe I've overfed a lot of hay. That's one thing we did see this winter. As cold and as wet as, as it's been, Uh, A lot of folks have fed probably a third, again, as much hay as what they normally do or what they planned on. So uh, they've, you know, a lot of folks have been having to buy some hay. They thought they had enough. And uh, as a consequence, they're having to uh, jump off and try to extend what they've got. So a little bit of fertilizer on that existing ryegrass, we can push that, get a little extra growth there. And there's a number of varieties there that um, have been tested over time up there at the Overton Research Center. They do a lot of experimental work on these these, uh, uh, winter annuals. And uh, they really do a great job of comparing, fertilizing, looking at fertilizer responses. But some of the varieties that they have looked at, and then we can get in the feed stores, feed stores around here when you go to buying varieties. And it's not too soon to start thinking about this now so that, you know, next August and early September, you can go to the store and order what you need and make sure you've got it on hand. But one of really showed up in the last few years and done a great job is a variety called Jumbo. When we look at comparative studies there out of Overton comparing ryegrasses, this particular variety on the average is yielding 7,400, 7,400, 7,400, 74 pounds of vegetation per acre. And when you compare that to the standard that we look at, Gulf ryegrass, Gulf on the average is making 6,375 pounds. Jump back up to Prine, that's another variety that's out there, 7,358. Marshall ryegrass is produced, you know, on the average produced 7,000. 126 pounds. Another variety that's out there is Jackson, 6,744 pounds. Tam 90, 6,556. And a uh, ribeye is another one that's been out there for a little while too, and it's 6,200 pounds there. So you can look and see, golf is the one that we push a lot. It's a standard. It's just like when you're comparing uh, hybrid Bermuda grasses. Coastal is what we compare to. And golf ryegrass is that same uh, factor right there. So we kind of compare everything to golf. That's the standard. So you can look at jumbo and the uh, seed source is getting better every year. But, you know, when you're able to get a thousand pounds more per acre for the same bag of feed, uh, seed, uh, it's something worth looking at. So uh, kind of look at those, make some notes. And you can go to the Overton Research Center website, overton.tmu.edu, and pull up these studies. And it gives the harvest yields per year, the averages that they've looked at. And... Uh, Again, how they've been treated. That's the biggest thing is we talked about nitrogen early on as far as uh, needing to ryegrass responding very well to nitrogen. At the same time, we need to provide a complete fertilizer because we're finding out particularly these high-quality grasses, they're going to need as much potassium as they do nitrogen. And, again, if we allow the ryegrass to utilize what's there, we're going to be end up a little, being a little bit short when it comes time for our uh, summer grasses to come out, those warm-season perennials. Uh, so we've got to make sure that our fertility program is in place. And again, these unless we're going to harvest hay and uh, ship it on down the road, those nutrients are not going anywhere. The phosphorus, potassium, magnesium, those nitri- nutrients that we put out there on that ground, it's taken up by the vegetation, goes through the animal back on the ground. So it's being recycled out there. Nitrogen, not so, so much, but uh, we'll talk about another plant here that we're seeing a lot of, and uh, it'll help us out with that particular situation. So again uh, the the cereal grains are out there also there's a few folks that like cereal rye in this area a lot of folks will do oats and oats are great if we can get started early with them that's one of those crops that we can dust in early provides really great uh, early grazing if uh, you know mother nature cooperates and temperatures stay a little bit low and get some moisture along with it early oats are quicker than anything else and they provide us those kinds of uh, uh, growth that we really really like to see cereal rye is an option there's some wheat growing in this area, but I think really the default is going to be our annual ryegrass. And again, those varieties we talked about producing a tremendous amount of vegetation. Uh, another thing, I wanted, next thing I wanted to go to then is also is going to be talking about the clovers, legumes. I mentioned them at the, onso- I mentioned them at the, of the on, onset of the program. And again, it's a really good plant to complement the ryegrass. Again, it's an excellent quality of vegetation. Now, legumes, when we talk about clovers alfalfa is a legume. And we look at alfalfa as being a plant, a warm season legume that produces excellent quality vegetation. And uh, uh, when you look at building a program, uh, we can utilize our legumes in conjunction with our ryegrasses. So you got a mixed plant, mixed planting out there because everybody you know, is afraid of clovers. They say they'll bloat or they'll colic or things like that. Well, if we've got it mixed with a long stem vegetation source like rye grass or some hay, then our likelihood of having any bloat or colic problems are going to be greatly reduced. But uh, again, it's an excellent quality nutritional source that we need to be looking at. And again, this year, as we mentioned early on, uh, this year, I'm not sure if it's the cold weather, that little cold snap we had back in early January when we were down to 15 and 17 degrees, there's a process that, that C go through called vernalization. And it's a combination of dormant period, cold time, cold stress. Uh, And this particular year may have been the year that rung the bell uh, because I think the vernalization process worked. We're seeing more clover this year than we have in a lot of years. And it's really done really, really well with the cooler temperatures. And, you know, you can look at pastures right now, and there's a lot of clover out there that's going to be 8 to 12 and 15 inches tall. And that's just really tremendous, particularly for some of our burr clovers, you know that's that kind of size is, is normal for crimson uh, arrowleaf, yuchi type clovers, but for bur clover and uh, and hop clovers, now that's a lot of growth for those guys because they're typically not that upstanding and uh, tall in their in their makeup. And again, uh, you know these are all legumes, and we'll talk a little bit more in a minute as far as um, you know the process we need to make sure of when we're trying to get some some clovers established in our pastures but uh, there's a rhizobia that we need to look at and we can visit about that shortly. So let's go ahead and take a minute and go to our uh, uh, sponsors and we'll be back and talk a little bit about clovers and the rhizobia and making sure we have the right rhizobia on our clovers. For those of you who like your partners, your gumbo and your music salty, well, we're here to help with the music. don't forget to download the lone star community radio app for your google play or apple store bring montgomery county's community radio with you anywhere with your smartphone or tablet if you are in the conroe area tune in on fm that is Conroe's fm 104.5 106.1 all glad to have you with us today and again excellent temperatures out there and enjoying the day and it's really nice. Uh, we we do, we do a, a crop report each week, and uh, for the last, uh we'll say what, 60 days, everything we've been says cold and wet, and nothing's growing. So uh, at least right now, we've had you know, a few days that we can consider uh, days that we can be in the field, and uh, you know temperatures are looking great, and things are starting to rebound. We start before we went to the break. We were talking a little bit about legumes, and I you know there's a lot of variety out there, and again, Montgomery County, as we've talked in the past, has got over 50 different soil types. So again, uh, there are some specifications on the clovers as far as what they like, but there is a clover that's adaptive to just about every soil that there is, uh, in East Texas and even our way. But these are again, annual plants and they're cool season legumes, which means like ryegrass, we're going to be planting them or they, uh, they'll get started in, uh, September, October, whenever conditions get right and they'll grow into the spring. Some of them are be a, a little quicker than others, but, uh, Typically, in fact, there you know, there's a lot of clovers that are flowering right now. I've even seen some crimson clover uh, blooming, uh, which means, uh, you know, it can be, you know, headed out and done with by, you know, another, another you know, two weeks or something like that. Opposed to some of our air-leaf clovers, uh, you know, they can be all the way till June. Uh, so you need to be careful about what's going on in the varieties there because we'll talk a little bit about how that impacts our warm season um, you know, grasses here in a minute. But again, these clovers are great. If we give an opportunity to reseed, in other words, a flower, uh, the the flowers mature and they shatter out a viable seed, you don't have to worry about replanting. Now, ryegrass, a little bit different deal. Uh, We typically don't get enough reseeding so that there's a uniform stand. So on ryegrasses for our winter pastures, I would plan on needing to reseed that every year. But with our clovers, again, if we manage it properly, uh, we can see a good, good, good stand of of, uh, clover out there without a lot of uh, effort on your part. But some of the clovers that are in this area, I mentioned the air leaf a minute ago, ball clover is one that's really come on the last few years, done a great, doing a great job. Rose clover, our red clovers, uh, they're great. And also there's a number of white clovers that, uh, and there are some of these that are actually a more of a true perennial that uh, you know can be, uh, they can be considered perennial, even though we normally talk about our legumes as being an annual. So again, that's another thing. It's a high value source of nutrition and it can be utilized by all classes of livestock, whether it be sheep, goats, cattle, horses. And again, I know there's a lot of horse owners that are afraid of it. But again, if it's mixed properly with uh, other sources of vegetation, you know, founder problems are not gonna be an issue. And uh, uh, it's just a, an excellent nutritional source that we need to be looking at. Uh, but again, you know, they're grown in mixtures of the ryegrass and that uh, just you know, it decreases that potential for bloat, colic, things like that tremendously. But, uh, you know, there are. Clo- I mentioned earlier about the, uh, the benefit. Legumes, again, are nitrogen fixers. In other words, they will draw nitrogen from the atmosphere, goes through a process that actually produces, that puts that nitrate form in the root system of the clover. And, again, it's not that it's actually making a fertilizer at that point. The nitrogen source is held in the root of that clover. So in the spring, you know, April, May, when that clover actually dies, that root system starts to break down and it'll actually release that nitrogen in that organic matter into the soil. And then we're looking at a nitrogen source that's gonna be available to our uh, warm season perennial grasses. And again, a good stand of clover, uh, it can contribute 75 to 100 pounds of actual nitrogen per acre. And when you're looking at even say uh, 21, 714 is running a little over 400, what $450 an acre, uh and a fifth of that is nitrogen you know there's a lot of value in 100 pounds of nitrogen being being put there by a plant that's doing you a beneficial job providing a good nutritional source for your animals and then turn around depositing that nitrogen in your soil for growth during the next season so it's a really really uh beneficial tool that i really encourage people to look, look at and even if you've got a pasture that you're not going to utilize on a regular basis I uh, just want to put a clover crop out there, let it do, do a thing, don't graze it at all, let it fix nitrogen, then you've got a warm season uh, fertilizer source next year. But I mentioned also the, the uh, strain of our rhizobia, which is basically a soil-borne bacteria that uh, you're looking at as far as uh, needing to be on the uh, uh, clover seed when you plant it. And again, more and more seed now is coming with an inoculant on it. In other words, it's pre coated and the appropriate uh, rhizobia is on there. And there are several different classes of rhizobia. So just because you've got one rhizobia out there and you plant another variety of clover, it may not be compatible or the right rhizobia source for that particular clover. So if you're hand mixing or putting, uh, uh, you know, affixing uh, rhizobia or the inoculant to a clover seed, Uh, then make sure it's the right one. But most of the seed anymore is being what they call pre-inoculated. So that seed has actually got a a, a seed treatment to it, and it looks like it's got a little color coating. And that's what that is, that rhizobia strain that is designed for that particular plant is available on that plant. So when you put that seed in the soil, that rhizobia is in contact with that plant as it germinates and that root establishes. And then that rhizobia actually is a part of that plant in the root system. And that's where you get... The uh, uptake of that and it does its beneficial standpoint because I can have clover out there if I don't have the rhizobia, it's not going to fix, but probably 20% of the potential nitrogen source because it does not have that rhizobia. That's actually kind of pushing that system along. So again, excellent tool, but uh, again, you know there there are site specific, and you need to make sure that uh, the rhizobia is on that soil itself. Clovers are not so forgiving as we talked about with ryegrasses. Ryegrasses are are pretty wide open. Uh, they'll take advantage of whatever you provide them, and uh, clover is a little more, uh, more a little more critical about what they want to see um, uh, on their soil sites. The pH is probably a little more, a little more critical on that part too. Uh, you're looking at uh, the pH is closer to neutral. Uh, arrow leaf clover six and a half to seven. Ball clover six and a half to seven five, so you can be a little more alkaline. Bersame clover is one that really likes. We see a lot of it or use a lot of it on some black land soils. It'll go from 6.5 to 8.5. And again, a lot of our Houston black clays that are in this area, they've got a, a, a natural pH of 8 to 8 two. So that's why the bursim is something we look at there. Crimson clover, 6 to 7 pH. So it's kind of right there in that neutral. Your Persian clover, 6 to 8. They're a little bit bigger window. Red clover, 6.5 to 8. Rose clover, 6.5 to 8. And then our white clovers, uh, the subterraneans, things like that, 6 to 7.5. And again, uh, most of them are going to be looking at uh, sandy, sandy loam type of soil. Uh, a few will tolerate the clays. Uh, the crimson is a little more tolerant. The bursim is tolerant. It'll take a little more of the clay. Uh, but the great drainage, you know, if we can have a fair to good drainage, uh, we'll have an excellent stand. And that's what we need to be looking at is trying to provide those conditions that are going to be most beneficial. And again, the seed source, when we go to plant these guys, Uh, there is a big difference because you'll see a difference in the size of the seed uh, when you go to the store and look at these things. Like arrow leaf, it's typically 8 to 10 pounds of seed per acre, whereas like ball clover, white ball, it's a very tiny seed, only 2 to 3 pounds per acre recommended on that. Bursim clover, it's got a large seed. We're looking at 12 to 16 pounds per acre. Crimson clover, another big seed-type plant. It's 16 to 20 pounds of seed per acre as far as recommended planting rate. Persian clover, six to eight pounds. Your red clover is 10 to 12. Rose clover, 12 to 16 pounds. And then white, like your subterranean, those white clovers, three to four pounds of seed per acre. So again, tremendous difference. That's why you just don't want to go with, oh, roughly, or this is what I did with this variety. As far as a planting rate, look at the type of seed you've got, follow those recommendations. And again, a lot of these seed sources have come down on their cost also, but you know, applying it according to recommended rate gives us a good stand where you're not putting out too much or not putting out enough, we'll hit that recommended rate, ensure that we've got a good stand. And hopefully, like I said, if conditions are right, uh, that one planting is all we're going to have to utilize because we may get a marginal or a little bit above uh, uh, a satisfactory stand the first year if we allow for a good seed production rate and we get that seed shattered out, goes through the winter. And then that next fall, we ought to should have, a great stand and again it gets stronger as we get more and more seed produced and not all that seed germinates in any one year Uh, that's the neat thing well you'll even see that on weeds Um, you know you've got some open ground out there and you'll get a few weeds this year things are a little bit different you know as wet and cold as we are this year we're already seeing a lot of weeds percolating and and jumping up early germinating uh, a little bit ahead of schedule so you know again conditions are going to be varied and not all seed is going to germinate in one year so that gives you an opportunity there to um, make sure that we're utilizing those or getting those things out, I recommend it. And again, fertilization is going to be critical. Our pHs keep it neutral. And if you know you've got a soil site that you want to, uh, you know, establish clover on, go to the trouble of running a soil test, seeing where you are, and uh, you know, work on your pH and liming that soil, getting that pH up over a period of time. It doesn't happen with two or three months. You really you're looking at a year getting that soil right. And it may take one application of lime, you get part way there, you have to hit it again because every soil is a little bit different as far as its buffering capacity, and it may take a little more calcium carbonate than what is thought to be needed to buffer that soil. Uh, you may need a second application to get it up there where you want it. And again, uh, all, all plants will, will actually provide better production because of the nutrient availability. We've talked in the past about how we look at uh, uh, tying up of nutrients in those soils. As the pH starts to go down or gets more acid or gets more alkaline, you know, actually those nutrients will bind up. They're not water-soluble. So they're no longer available for that plant to utilize. So it's basically starving that plant to 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 death as far as that goes. So, uh, and again, overseeding the fertilization of the ryegrass and and the clovers, you know, again, this is a little different deal. So ryegrass is, yes, we're going to push those with a nitrogen source. But if I've got just strictly a uh, clover crop out there, I'll put a little phosphorus and potassium out there, uh, make it do its own nitrogen source. But at the same time, uh, if I've got a ryegrass blend ryegrass clover mix then I'm going to go ahead and fertilize that pasture and the ryegrass or the clover gets a, a, a free trip there as far as some extra fertilizer being applied it's still going to provide a, a fixation effect and apply or hold that nitrogen in those root systems until June and July when it starts to break down and uh, that's when you'll see those clovers start to shine and bring things on so again it's a utilization process and uh, the clovers you know, again there's a lot of management that, that goes into them. Uh, the, seeds, the seed coating we talked about is going to be critical. And uh, after we come back from break, we'll talk a little bit more about the utilization and uh, how we can utilize those, those plants to their benefit and not overgraze them and still get the maximum benefit. So we'll be back shortly. Listen in Mondays at noon to hear Conroe news from local nonprofits, businesses, upcoming events, Conroe Park events, news stories, and information that matters to you with your host, Margie Taylor of Taylorized PR. For more information about being a guest, visit slash Conroe Culture. Our talk shows and music shows are looking for sponsors. Want to expand your brand awareness? reach the hyper local audience in montgomery county Lone star community radio sponsorships accomplish this want to see our stats and rates check out irlonestar.com sponsor for more information or call in and leave us a message at 936-647-3776 with your question get seen on tv or youtube and heard on our podcast, FM, and internet radio. Sponsor your local radio station with Lone Star Community Radio. glad to have you back with us again today and i hope you're enjoying the day it's a friday and we're in the middle of the houston livestock show and rodeo i might make a mention of that as far as some of the classes coming up here shortly but uh we've been ongoing we did the uh the junior horse judging contest this last wednesday and our uh uh, sheep exhibitors are down there this week and next week we'll have our kids with the uh, market steers moving in on monday and classifying them on tuesday and then showing wednesday thursday friday Anyway, let's get back to what we were talking about as far as our, our clovers and utilizing uh, those, those cool season pastures. And again, it's a, a, a mixture there. We don't want to overgraze those things and take advantage of them uh, to their benefit, though. And again, we can have them, uh, cross fence, rotational grazing uh, are, are opportunities there. And everybody's a little bit different as far as their opportunities and, you know, structure or schedule, I should say. Uh, I know there's a lot of folks out there that get to see their animals on every Saturday morning because they're got leave early and get home late. And that makes it difficult to be out there kind of tending the things and making sure that uh, uh, we don't overgraze pastures or things are going as they need to be. But uh, for most legumes, if i got a pure stand of legume, as we mentioned, let's not apply any nitrogen. If we're going to have a mix, though, yes, we're going to go ahead and fertilize the ryegrass, keep that pasture going to its optimum, because we're not going to waste it. It's going to be utilized. Uh, Again, that nitrogen is going to be taken up and and tied up in organic matter. So uh, it's going to be an excellent tool to utilize. But, uh, you know, looking at, you know, the, the process we'll go through in the spring, it's critical. You've kind of got a window there that we really need to watch and see what's going on as far as seed source, letting our clovers do their, uh, do their job. They're going to be blooming here. And then you watch them as far as you're going to see uh, the, the bloom. They'll actually see a seed source. And crimson clovers once really easy to see because you're going to see, you know, that, gri- that bright uh, crimson reddish color, bloom out there in the pasture. And as it goes through the inoculation process or fertilization process on the seed, uh, producing a hard seed, uh, you'll actually see uh, that bloom go to a grayish color and then more of a gray brownish color as it matures. And at that point, uh, the seed, it has produced hard seed, is ready to shatter out back on the ground. And that's kind of what we're looking for. Because what we get into also now, we were talking about these cool season annuals as being a good supplement to our warm season perennial grasses. And it gets to be a challenge there because we've got to a window there of opportunity in the spring where we've got to get the cool season annuals off and make, make pastures ready for the summer growth. And uh, if we let those things go too long and Apache arrow leaf is one we've seen in the past, uh, tremendous producer, lots of vegetation, I mean, this stuff can be up there knee high and just tremendous amount of vegetation. Well, if we just let that stay out there too long, we can actually kill Bermuda grass. or warm season perennials, because of the shading and letting them miss that opportunity to get started in the spring, we've actually killed stands of our, our warm season perennial grasses. So we've got that opportunity there to monitor, let it go ahead and make seed. And again, there's a couple of ways you can monitor that also. You can graze those, those clovers and ryegrass and about the time they start to bloom, uh, then go ahead and back those animals out of there. Let it go ahead and flower right quick, produce that seed. And it'll typically be about a 40, 45 day window there, a total between starting the bloom and when it starts to shatter out seed, then you can come back in there and graze it. And if you don't have the grazing light pressure at that point in time, then we're forced to make a decision. Okay, do we go use a herbicide on it? Because we can run across that pasture with a product like your glyphosates, your uh, non-selective kills. Uh, and run across that pasture spray and kill the cool season annuals and again they've already produced the seed the herbicide we were talking about applying is not going to impact that seed at all so we're able to remove that competition and then allow that sunlight to get down to that bermuda grass laying down there on the soil waiting for that opportunity to get some sunlight and come out of dormancy and ready to start growing and that's what we need to be looking at. And again, you may have a mixture there. That's why a lot of times our winter pastures, we're not going to do fence-to-fence planting on that. We'll pick one pasture there. That makes it a little easier for us to focus on getting that cleaned up. And then our other pastures, we can look at that are all grass, Bahagrass-type mixes. We can focus on those and bring those along as they need to be. So uh, there's an opportunity there right when those clovers are done. And uh, you know we're getting into April, early May. That's a point in time where you just need to start cleaning that ground up and getting it short. And if you've got the livestock pressure that you can put on those pastures, graze them down as close as you can go after it's produced that seed, because that way you're going to basically utilize, turn that forage into pounds of beef, and at the same time clean that pasture up so it's short and sunlight's going to get down to those warm season perennials. And we're ready to start growing some perennial grasses and uh, get ready for the summertime. And... We've talked a lot about Bermuda grass in the past and realized that everybody says it's an 80, but it's not. You know, the uh, Bermuda grasses all came from Southeast Africa. And if we look back in the literature, as far as the research goes, uh, the documented first placement of Bermuda grasses out of Africa in the United States was back in 1751 in Savannah, Georgia area. So that's where that grass was brought in, uh, began to grow at that point in time. And again, there's been a tremendous amount of research and development on our Bermuda grasses over that period of time. And uh, again, right now we're very, you know, got some varieties, we'll talk about those shortly here, as far as the opportunities out there. Cause there's a lot of people that are looking at trying to establish things now. And that's why I wanted to go ahead and make a comment as far as some of these Bermuda grass um, varieties and selections that are out there. Cause this time of year right now, late March, early April is a good time to get that seed out there. Our temperatures, soil temperatures are gonna warm up. So that seed will germinate. And we can actually get that Bermuda grass growing or Bahia grass growing uh, in a short order so that by the time we get to June, we've got a plant that's not going to be susceptible to heat stress and it'll be ready to start growing and establish and be ready to start utilizing. But Bermuda grass, that's one thing that really shined about that grass when we started looking at it uh, several hundred years ago. Uh, It did respond very, very well well to uh, fertilizer. And again, some of the, you know, the coastal Bermuda grass, Early testing it went on, and this is back in the 90s, just the numbers I was looking at here, Uh, when you look at uh, the averages as far as pounds per acre uh, yield from a fertilizer, if we put nothing out there, we're getting about 4,000 in year 1993, 4,000 pounds of vegetation uh, per acre. If we bumped up and put 100 pounds of nitrogen and 33 pounds of phosphorus and 67 pounds of phosphorus along with that, all of a sudden we bumped it to 6,450 pounds. Oh, we put 200 pounds of nitrogen along with 67 pounds of phosphorus and 134 pounds of potassium. Now we're looking at 8,290 pounds. And then if we put 400 pounds of actual nitrogen on, uh, along with 134 pounds of phosphorus and 268 pounds of phos- or potassium. Now we're looking at 10,460 pounds per acre. So again, it's a neat plant in the fact that it does respond very, very well to fertilizer. And again, uh, you know, the poultry litter is another one that's out there. We see the same effects with that as far as uh, amounts of or tons per acre that are being applied on that poultry litter. If we do a spring treatment of two tons of per spring and two tons in the summer, looking at, at 6,900 pounds. If we do four tons in, just in the spring, 7,400 pounds. If we do four tons in the spring and four tons in the summer, looking at 7,800 pounds of grass per acre. And if we do eight tons in the spring, looking at 9,270 pounds as far as the average yield uh, on production as response to fertilizer. So that's always been the, the, the really the big draw about Bermuda grasses. You know, they've got their ability to sustain uh, short, gro- short grazing pressure. Uh, it does damage the root system, but at the same time, that root system has been very tolerant to many, many different soil types. So, again, it's, it's really been one that we really lean on heavily as far as our warm season pastures, whether it be hay production or it's going to be uh, um, uh, grazing pressures for different types of animals. It's just a very, very wide use. And we looked at some t- testing data over the time. And, again, Overton has done this over here at the Brazos County Station College Station. is the research center there. And, again, there's a tremendous amount of variety varieties out there. And, uh, you know, they're all promoted at different levels. And the thing to look at you know, you can go to our websites here, and this is gonna be where they're all being treated the same. If one is fertilized, they're all fertilized, but you can look at a four-year average or five-year average here. Tifton 85 is one that's really come to the top, and we've been playing with that tr- that plant for a number of years, but the average is gonna be 10,700 pounds per acre. Uh, another one that's gonna be, a, a, a one that's seen very much in this area is gonna be Texas Tuff Ramudagrass. And that's going to be 7,688 pounds per acre. And that's going to be a five-year average treated the same as the Tifton 85. And realizing that that's a seeded variety opposed to the Tifton 85, which is vegetatively planted. And then you got Rancho Frio, which is another variety of blend. It's out there, 7,250 pounds. Now, Terra Verde, Bermuda grass, 7,200. Uh, coastal Bermuda, again, that's like we were talking about with Gulf, Gulf ryegrass. That's kind of the, uh, the benchmark that we compare everything to. Coastal Bermuda grasses produces 6,900 pounds. Uh, Cheyenne is another seeded variety out there that everybody likes, 6,900 pounds on it also. Uh, then there's a, a Pensacola Bahagrass thrown in the mix, 4,400 pounds. Uh, Tifton not, Tif 9, which is another a little delayed uh, uh, maturity as far as the grazing potential on that, 4,360 300, 4, pounds. Common Bermuda comes in, uh, let's see, get down here, I'm not looking right, uh, 6,393 pounds. So again, Giant Bermuda then, 4,900 pounds. Um, Wrangler Bermuda, but there's a tremendous variety out there. But you know, there's a lot of literature, compare your varieties that you're looking at. And again, some of our seeded varieties can do very, very well. But if you are wanting the high producers like the Tifton 85, those ones are vegetatively planted. But again, uh, if we're willing to spend the money in fertilizing, then we're gonna see the yield come out of those grasses. And that's really the neat thing about those grasses is that they do respond to fertility. And the Tifton 85 is one that we've seen that animal preference, uh, we've watched animals walk across several other varieties of plants to uh, go graze on uh, the Tifton 85 pastures in those strips. So again, tremendous amount of uh, animal preference and then nutritional value in those plants. Uh, again crude protein levels are going to respond very very well and again we've talked about in the past that there's lots of gives and takes in these grasses and you know if we don't manage them properly we cannot always we're not always going to have um, uh, top quality grasses out there Uh, I can take coastal make it extremely good or I can take it have coastal be bedding material too so it comes back to how I manage that grass how I fertilize it uh, how mature I get whether I turn it on to grazing or if I'm going to uh, put it in a hay bale so there's lots of varieties out there and we've talked about some of the other varieties like Brazos, uh, Cayley, cross cross one. These are great uh, grazer. These are all varieties that are out there that you're going to run into Jigs, LaGrange, Lancaster, Luling, Midland, uh, Rockdale series. Again, these are all varieties that you're probably going to read something about and, you know, kind of look at the results on those, the testing broad results and, uh, you know, kind of compare them. Uh, you know, and again, not all grasses are going to be adapted to this area because, uh, you know, there's buffalo grass in South Texas, which is a tremendous grass, but it uh, it's are too cold, even in this part of the country, to have it grow in this area here. So, uh, you know, things are great in other places. Tifton 44 is another grass that's out there. We utilize it a lot Tifton 85 north of here. Uh, the Tifton 44 and Tifton 78 do exceptionally well there. So, uh, they've all kind of got their growing zones that we need to be looking at. But you're going to see a tremendous number of uh, uh, varieties out there. Do your homework compare their grazing potential, look at the seed uh, costs, uh, you know, seed sources as a fresh seed, making sure that you're buying a quality product when you get ready to go. So uh, there's a world of opportunity. And again, uh, now's the time to start looking at it. If you're looking at having somebody vegetatively plant for you, you need to get in their books because the ground is just now getting dry enough that they can start digging sprigs. And uh, if you want to look at Coastal or Tifton 85, uh, get with those guys that might be doing the planting for you, make sure that they've got enough product on hand to plant your pastures. Otherwise, looking at the seed sources, uh, make sure you get with that that feed store, get that seed ordered in so that you can be applying uh, the appropriate product when it's time to plant. And again, as we mentioned now, uh, now's the time to be getting after it. We're ground starting to get dry enough. I can do a little bit of site preparation, uh, probably already run my soil test, hopefully back at Christmas time. So we can prepare that site, get it ready to go and have some pla- pastures ready to go here before too long. Let's go ahead and take one more break before uh, and we'll come back and talk a little bit about the county fair coming up and a couple things like that for you guys to take advantage of hey guys this is connor this is dick this is chris and we're with the ticket stub podcast every thursday live at noon on 104.5 and 106.1 fm in the conroe area also anytime at irlonestar.com you go to irlonestar.com backslash tts You can find all of our social media. And don't forget, we give away two tickets to the Grand Theater on every show. If you like movies and you like complaining or celebrating anything that has to do with the silver screen, check out the Ticket Stuff podcast and join us every Thursday at noon o'clock on Lone Star Community Radio. All righty. Glad to be with you again today. Uh this has been a, a, an interesting go, and there's a lot of things going on this spring. We just got done talking about forages, but I want to give you a reminder about things coming up. I mentioned a little while ago about the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, and, and they, you know, the, you, all the publicity talks a little bit about that rodeo and the entertainer that's there, and there's a tremendous amount of youth livestock competition going on down there, and, uh, you know, I don't want them to forget about that part there. That's the the big part of what that thing was all about. It started as a livestock show and now they're just talking about the concert. Uh, that's the, the big push. And, you know, a lot of things going on down there that are helping youth become uh, young adults and, uh, you know, be competitive, do a good job. They're responsible for their animals. And uh, it just, you know, we don't want to over- overlook that, uh, that aspect of what's going on out there. Uh, we really want to back them up. And, and, you know, so if you get an opportunity next week Again, the steer show is going on. There's a different varieties of competition. You can go to the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo website and pull up that calendar. But, uh, again, if you're going to the rodeo, come down there a little earlier and uh, support some of the youth. You know, like I said, the barrel show has been going on. Uh, lamb shows are going on right now. Next week we'll be dealing with steer, the junior market steers. There's been a lot of breeding beef down there, commercial shows. There's been a lot of sales going on with commercial vendors down there selling animals. So, they, uh, you know, they, it's really easy to look, overlook the important part of what that program is all about. And again, uh, yeah, there's a lot of scholarships come out of it, and we don't want to undermine that. But the fact of the matter is that there's a lot of kids doing a lot of neat things down there. And, uh, you know, give them an opportunity to support them. So if you get down there, run across there to the Reliant uh, facility and uh, see what's going on. I mentioned earlier on Wednesday of this week, we did the, did the junior junior horse judging contest. And we actually do that out there, Great Southwest Equestrian Center in Katy, just because of the fact we got so many kids. We had 836 kids involved with that contest, and uh, you know, both 4-H and FFA, and uh, 4-H kids are actually given reasons. So it takes a better part of the day to evaluate eight classes of horses, listens to reasons, and give the results. So it's a neat deal, uh, and again, it's another educational opportunity for our youth to become you know, young adults there, and we really want to push that. The Montgomery County Fairs were coming up right around the corner here in the first part of April. Easter's got us kind of pushed back a little bit with it being the first weekend in April. So we're looking at the uh, Friday, or actually the Thursday, April the 12th, all of our kiddos that are doing ag mechanics projects. And if you guys have not been out to the fair, or even in Houston, let me step back. Houston has got this ag mechanics show going also. And uh, you would not uh, believe the quality of the work that's being done by our youth fabricating all sorts of things, everything from chicken coops to trailers to, uh, to feeders to barbecue grills, uh, tremendous welding skills, planning, put to do this project themselves. But, uh, you know, that thing is out there. But uh, Thursday, April the 12th, uh, our ag mechanics kiddos will be moving their projects into the Montgomery County Fairgrounds. Uh, Friday the 13th is a special day. We've got that day is dedicated to special education. And a lot of the youth from around the county are able to come in there, see animals. That's the same day our swine will be moving in. So those animals are in place, but they get to see a lot of the educational opportunities that are there. We've got an agricultural education area there, which will have a variety of animals, small things, vegetables growing, uh, just quite a cross-section there of educational opportunities. Uh, The scramble heifers will be coming in that day. Breeding beef will also check in that day. So they're gonna be seeing a a cross-section of livestock. And then there will also be a rodeo that night uh, in the expo so we want to get looking at that and then also that Friday evening uh, our yearling cult projects will be coming in I think it's between six and nine they come in that evening and then there's a concert that also that night where uh, Shane Smith and the Saints will be available to uh, uh, that evening entertainment after the rodeo is, is done with they've actually got a stage out there on the south side of the grounds where they set that up and does a great job on Saturday April the 14th a uh, concert that night but lambs are checking in Steers are going to be checking in on uh, the fairgrounds that day. Rabbit check in that day. Uh, turkeys and broilers are checking in. The ag mechanics contest is actually being judged. You know, they're checking in on Thursday, getting things set. And uh, you know, if you want to see some kiddos that can document what they've done, go listen to what them talk about their projects. The uh, you know the 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 well where their welders were set at as far as the machine, the types of rods that they were using lot utilizing to weld with, and. Uh, Again, just the uh, their, their knowledge has gone into dev- developing that product, finishing that project. Then the Rabbit Show is going on. The Junior Fine Arts Show is going on. The Junior Handcraft Show is going on. Uh, there's a Needlecraft Show, Junior Horticulture Show. Junior Homemaking Show is also on Saturday. Photography, so it's not all livestock. There's a lot of non-livestock going on. Uh, the Turkey Show, the Broiler Show, and then the Market Steers are checking in that day also. So, and again, there's also a rodeo that evening. So you can see Saturday the 14th, a busy, busy day, an excellent time for anybody that's interested in coming out to the fair, come out there that day. Uh, you can stay as busy as you want, or you can just sit down and watch people and watch things happen, too. So it's a neat deal. On Saturday, Sunday, then the April the 15th, uh, first thing in the morning, starting at 8 o'clock, it's going to be the Scramble Heifer Show. And the scramble program is there where they at the rodeo performance last year. They caught a calf during the calf scramble, then they went and purchased a heifer. They've been growing, raising that animal all year turning in their records, documenting what's going on, and uh, they're able to compete this, that, that day for uh, the last part of the showing, and then they'll be actually recognized on Monday night. Uh, the Del shows are going on, and also Monday afternoon, starting at 4 o'clock, is going to be the Market Lamb Show. So those kiddos with lamb projects, they'll be showing on Sunday evening. Monday, April 16, uh, again, Market Goats will be moving in and weighing in. The Colt Show is at 9 o'clock that morning. And again, there's four different classes or sections involved with those colts. So it takes the morning to come by and watch them. They'll be going on in the expo, encourage people to come, They'll step step over the wall there and look and see what's going on. Kids Day is going on on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, the Junior Barrow Show is going on on, Saturday, on on Monday also. They start at 11 o'clock and it takes a better part of the day to get going on. Then the Junior Livestock Auction. We talked about those competitions going on Saturday. Their Nine Livestock Auction is actually that night. So then on Thursday, Tuesday, uh, April the 17th, uh, kids' day, second day of that, senior citizens' day is down there at the convention center. They have a tremendous time. There is the pet parade. The market steer show is going to be on Tuesday evening. Market go show is earlier in that day. Uh, again, a good cross-section. On Wednesday, the 18th, we actually have a junior livestock judging contest going on, and we'll be evaluating 12 different classes of livestock And again, it's an excellent learning opportunity for our 4-H and FFA exhibitors. And then on Wednesday evening is our junior livestock auction. And again, that's where they'll be recognizing all the youth for the project work that they've done. And uh, they'll actually be selling their animals to the highest bidder. And then on Thursday evening, again, is going to be the replacement heifer show. Uh, It takes up the entire day. They'll be checking in seven o'clock in the morning. Mid-morning, we'll actually have the replacement heifer show. And then they finish up the competition. Uh, then we do some tabulation because they actually turn in record books, they do air interviews, they take a written test, and then their show uh, results all are computed together. And then those are, are uh, helped select the sale order for the replacement heifer sale that goes on on Thursday evening. So that starts at 7 o'clock Thursday night. And again, encourage those buyers that are looking for a good animal to take home, put out in the pasture, and be a productive female. They're going to be able to be able to get some great, uh, great animals. So we've got a good set of cattle this year. Uh, Kids have been participating in the clinics and we're really proud of the work that they've done. Quality animals that they'll be bringing to town for the fair in uh, next month. So really encourage everybody to come out there and watch them, support them. And again, you can learn a lot by visiting with these kids and find out what they've been going on and they can tell you what they've done and what they've learned. So it's a great deal on that part. And I guess uh, closing this show out, uh, I want to just drop a little note there that I will be retiring the end of this month. So it's been a great opportunity to visit with you guys. And again, um, Extension Service is there to help you out. uh, A world of of, of experience and resources there. And uh, don't forget to call on them for anything that you need in the future. Otherwise, we'll say goodbye. And uh, again, we appreciate you being with us on the Agricultural Toolbox. And again, great spring to you. Thank you for checking out this production of Lone Star Community Radio. Lone Star Community Radio is Montgomery County's community radio station. Don't forget to check out this show and many others across the Lone Star Community Radio Network, either live on Conroe's FM 104.5, 106.1, the Lone Star Internet Radio app, or IRLoneStar.com's live audio stream, and on replay on podcasts, Channel 12s, Our City TV, and Conroe